Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. Welcome to the house of the Lord one more night. We want to thank you all so much for joining us on live stream. Those of you who come here to church, we want to thank you so much for being here um, and just for giving God an opportunity, giving the church leadership an opportunity just to speak into our lives one more time. I'm very grateful to our pastor just for allowing me the uh, opportunity to speak here today. And uh, our pastor, keep him in prayer. As you might have known, his knee uh, is acting up a little bit. And so they, they had to go to the doctor. So keep them in prayer. And um, please keep your pastor in prayer uh, that God will heal him. Um, why don't we open up to Jude? Uh, there's only one chapter in Jude. So let's go to verse 4. Jude verse 4. And uh, this month we've been talking about dominion. Uh, we've been talking about dominion, but I want to speak on, most times when people talk about dominion, they speak about the spiritual dominion and authority over a specific place, over a neighborhood, over a city, um, over a county. Uh, we're not going to be speaking about that tonight. There was something else I really felt to speak about when it comes to dominion, and it has more to do with uh, one of its definitions. But let's go ahead and begin reading um, Jude chapter 1, verse 4. It says this, I'm going to be reading out of the NASB version. It says, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So he's speaking about specific people who have crept in among us. I said, verse 5, now I desire to remind you, though, you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe, and to angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode or the place of living or dwelling, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Verse 7, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Verse 8, yet in the same way these men, also by dreaming, defile the flesh and reject authority, and revile angelic majesties. Everybody say revile. Everybody say revile. And revile angelic majesties. Verse 9, but Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment or accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Today I want to talk about the power of, of your words. Why don't we go ahead and pray right there? I ask you that you pray for me, that the Holy Ghost would speak through me, that I get out the way today. Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you had done. We ask you, God, that you would cleanse us of all unrighteousness, that your blood will fall upon us today. I pray, God, that somebody would be blessed, delivered, used for your honor and your glory, and would receive something greater, not from me, but receive it from your spirit today. I pray a spirit of revelation in this house that we can walk away with weapons of the kingdom of God and not for our flesh. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When I was uh, in high school and I first began, or first became uh, converted, I realized that very quickly on that my words were extremely powerful. And not only that, 
Actually, I would say my words were very destructive. And I remember saying things in my house and saying things to people and saying things to my friends and saying things to my sister that would end up causing more division than there was unity. Has anyone ever experienced somebody like that? Maybe not you. Amen. Okay, but people like that who sometimes they just begin opening their mouth and you think, man, why, why couldn't you just not say anything? Why couldn't you just go to your room, just go to a corner, go speak to your teddy bear, do something? But whatever, whenever you open your mouth, immediately you're starting to mess things up, right? I was that person for the longest. I like to think I'm not that person anymore, but I was that person. I remember thinking I want control over my mouth. I remember praying and thinking, I have no control over my mouth. I have no control at what comes out. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be silent for an entire week. I'm going to go on a speaking fast. I'm not going to say anything. I told my mom. I told my dad. I told my brother, my sister, and uh, very few of my friends. And everyone thought, there's no way he could do it. There is no way he could do it. And to their dismay, to their shock, I proved them wrong for a certain amount of time. And I remember going to high school, not saying a word. I remember waking up, um, my dad or somebody would talk to us when we would come back from school or I, I'd be in school and, and uh, somebody would ask me something and I would just nod my head. I wouldn't say anything. I just, and they would say, what, what are you doing? And I would just go, just nod my head and it became this small game that everyone tried to get me to talk and which was completely not the point whatsoever. But, you know, people just like to do that kind of stuff. Like when you get new shoes, they just want to step on them. Right. And so, you know, that that's kind of what was happening. And eventually uh, day two, I started getting used to it. And then day three, I was getting really good at it. And day four, it was driving my parents crazy. And they thought I couldn't do it. But as I was living a life of silence, you know, my parents then uh, were going a little crazy, and, and they, the, my mom turned to me, and my dad turned to me and said, James, that's it. You can start talking now. All right, you prove your point, whatever the case is. And so I began taking up talking, and now I can't stop again. And, um, and now I'm preaching to you. So anyways, what I, what I realized, though, was that, that I was able to exercise control over my mouth. The other thing I realized... And this is not the whole point of the Bible study. These are just a few nuggets. If I could just give them to you what I learned from my journey of silence is that, well, the other thing is that when, when you stop talking, you realize that life goes on without you. You realize that people learn things without you. You realize that you are not the center of attention. And most people, they enjoy talking so much because they want to be the, in the spotlight. They want, they yearn for that attention. And when you stop talking, you have to learn and realize that God still deals with people he loves, whether you're in their life or whether you're not. Amen. And so, so one of the things that I, that I had to understand was that God was still in control. And that's a side thing that has nothing, not a whole lot to do with, you know, the Bible study. But on the idea of speaking and the power of your words, I'm telling you today that you, if you have the Holy Ghost, you do have the power you do have the strength, you do have the anointing, the understanding to control what comes out of your mouth. You have the power, you have dominion over your mouth. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got dominion. Come on, turn to your other neighbor and tell me you got dominion. You have dominion. Some of you, oh, I don't know why I said, 
you know, that dress looks really nice. Uh, it would look nicer if you were skinnier. Oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I meant, no, you, that is not an excuse. That is not an excuse anymore. It just slipped out, you know. I keep it real, right? I'm going to tell you how important it is to have control over your mouth today. So dominion, the definition, there's a few different definitions. One is to control or exercise control. The other one is territory or sphere of influence. And the third one, controlling power or influence over. We need to understand that with our words, we are influencing our surroundings. Okay, we are influencing our surroundings. I once heard it said that if you want to... Um, if you want your surroundings to change, then your words have to change. If you want to change what you see, you have to change what you say. If you want to change what you see, you have to change what you say. Amen. So in Jude chapter four, we opened up there, right? And we opened up with this under this. Now, the book of Jude is a, the book of Jude is a very, very uh, interesting book. It's in my opinion, it's I think Jude, if we could hear him preach in real life, he's probably one of the greatest preachers in the Bible. And as you begin to read this, you see he fills what he's saying with examples. And we opened up and he started off in verse 4. He said, there's certain persons that have crept in among you unnoticed. So they're, they're there um, among you, but they're not with you. Right? They're among us, but they're not of us. One of the books of John talks about this as well, saying that if they were of us, then they would have stayed with us. They would not have gone away from us. But the idea is constantly that there are some, there is a giant group of people and that there are select few that have made the decision to be chosen of God, right? And there are others that are just there to cause division, right? And he begins to give examples. He says that God brought out Almost, he didn't say a million, but we estimate over a million people out of Egypt. He says, but yet so many of them were killed in the desert, were judged in the desert because they did not believe. So they were all brought out together. But in that whole group, only a select amount of them actually made it to the promised land. Right. He also then says in the angels we're not the angels, right, made in our understanding. They were made, they dwelt in heaven. And then what does he say in verse 6? And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper place. He has kept in eternal bonds under darkness. What is he saying? These angels were made just like the other angels. But somewhere along the way, we realized it was manifested that they did not belong with us. They did not belong with the others. And now we understand them to be demonic spirits or principalities of that nature. But yet they started out as angels. So in the same way, the understanding is that many of us are churchgoers. Many of us are going to life groups. Many of us are maybe reading the word or listening to preachings. But not all of us. And this is what the book of Jude is saying. Not all of us are actually going after it the way God has intended us to. He's saying that there's certain among us. There's certain among the doctrine, certain among our assembly that have crept in unaware, that have crept in quietly and are just there to sow division. Someone say amen. That's what the word says. That's what the Bible says. Now, he continues on and he begins describing what indicates or what separates those that have crept in and those that sincerely love God. 
Okay, he begins to show you the division. He doesn't just say, well, some of you are going to hell and some of you are going to heaven. Good luck. God bless you. Right? No, he says, the ones that are actually going to be judged, the ones whose hearts are not right, this is what we can see. These are the things they display. He goes on to verse 7. He says, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulge in gross immorality, they went after strange flesh, and they are exhibited as an example. He's saying Sodom and Gomorrah, all these, the things that they give into their desires and their passions and their lusts. He says, these are examples of those that have come in and crept among us. Okay, then he goes on in verse 8. And he says, yet in the same way, these men, talking about those that have crept in. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm making sure that you're following along with me. I know I'm repeating myself, but I just want to make sure we're following along. He says, yet in the same way. These men also by dreaming. Now that word dreaming to us sounds great. Like we will have a dream. Martin Luther King had a dream. We have the American dream. Everyone has a dream. But in the Bible, that understanding, the Hebrew mentality is to hold vain and empty opinions. So to hold an opinion that is worthless. Have you ever talked to anyone that you, they just start talking and then it's like, what are you even saying right now? You're not making any. I remember I was speaking to this guy about the word and we, we were, he was coming to church and all of a sudden I started talking about sin. I started talking about uh, salvation. He starts telling me about his theories about the stars and about the stardust. And, you know, I'm a star, you're a star. We're all elements and this and that and all this. And I asked him, well, well where are you getting this from? Like, what, well, it's just this theory I had. I'm like, Nice. It's wrong. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know exactly what to tell you, but it's empty. It's vain, right? But these more so are talking about people's opinions that are worthless in the sense that they lead you away from truth, that they lead you away from truth. And this is what he's saying. People have crept in among you and they'll just drop a little something. Mm, I don't think pastor was, was right on that. Man, I don't know if my life group leader, I, don't, I think he messed it up there. I think he missed it there. Right, or this person they met, rather than addressing it or praying on it or actually going civilly, they'll begin sowing little seeds of discord. Right? That's, that's a creeper, right? That's someone who's crept in. Right? We can use that, right? The, the creepers. Hey, Amen. That's pretty good. I'm going to coin that, the creepers. All right. And then the next thing, right? We're in verse 8. He says, in the same way, these men also by dreaming, they defile the flesh and reject authority. They reject or despise dominion. I'm, I'm reading a more literal translation. They, they reject authority. Oh, I don't got to do that. No, nah, me and God. Me and God right here. God is my pastor, right? He whispers to me. I do what he tells me to do. I don't need to be obedient. I don't need to submit. Nothing. But when you're totally just missing what it says in Romans, that authorities are established and ordained by God. And you're totally missing in, in, in 1 Samuel when it says that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. I know God talks to people. I'm going to say one thing about 1 Samuel and about rejecting authority. I, I don't mean to bring the hammer down. I'm so sorry. I don't know why it's coming out like this. But in 1 Samuel... We have an understanding that Samuel goes to Saul and tells Saul to go and wipe out the Amalekites, to go and take everything, uh, excuse me, to go and wipe out everything and leave it all. Do not take any of it. And Saul disobeys. And because he disobeys, we get the scripture for rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, right? Et cetera, et cetera. And the scripture goes on. Now, the understanding is this, that Saul never once heard the voice of God for himself. 
He only heard it through a prophet. And God held him accountable because he could not discern that it was God's voice through the prophet or that he chose to disobey it through the prophet. In other words, God held Saul accountable for not listening to a man's voice because he could not understand that it was God's voice through him. And today, God is calling us, God is calling you, God is calling me to learn and to live a life of submission where we are not despising authority, but we're embracing correction. We're embracing correction. We're saying, Lord, correct me. Use my pastor, life group leader, the children in children's church. Use anybody you want, God. But I'm going to hear your voice today. Turn your neighbor and say, let's hear God's voice. Right? So they defile the flesh and reject authority. And here we go. And revile angelic majesties or revile uh, glories or the other word is to revile authorities. Now, I told you to repeat the word revile. This is in verse eight to revile authorities. Everyone say revile. Now, this is a very important word in this Bible study. The word revile means to verbally abuse, to verbally abuse, not physically I'm not saying you're going up to your life group leader and smacking them in the face. I'm not saying you're going to the brother in the other pew and, you know, just kind of, hey, what's up? Let's take this to the parking lot. And then you're throwing hands. It has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with that. It's to verbally abuse. It is when a word is released from your mouth and that word is in abuse or puts down or is an evil word spoken about somebody else. And he says, if you want to know who are the creepers, the people creeping in among us, you want to know who they are? They're going to be the people speaking poorly about others. Those are the people on their way to burn with fire as Sodom and Gomorrah burned. That's what he said. That's what the scripture says. Verse 7. He said, you want to know who they are? In your own, you can see them in your own house. You can see them in your own family. Some of you, it's probably your mom and your dad. Some of you, it's probably your, probably your brothers and your sisters. Some of you, it's probably a friend that you don't want to cut off. Maybe it's a cousin. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's that. It doesn't matter. The Bible teaches us that if you want to see the indication, see what are the characteristics of those who have crept in among us who are not of us, that fourth one is to verbally abuse, to revile authorities. Someone say, help me, Jesus. To revile authorities. Right. And then he goes and gives it the example. He says, but Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, verse nine, and argued about the body of Moses, he did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. In other words, the context here is saying that Michael did not stand up when he was fighting with Satan and say, I rebuke you. He did not say this. Now, we are we are not angels. We have a different authority. So that is why we don't say the Lord rebuke you. That's why we say I rebuke you in Jesus name because we come in the name of Jesus. Right. But but Michael did not have that authority to come in the name of Jesus. He came by the by the word using the word of God. And he said, the Lord rebuke you because Michael was not baptized in the name of Jesus. We don't have time to get into that. But nevertheless, Michael would not accuse Satan. In other words, he would not speak evil of Satan, but only pronounce God's judgment on him and said, the Lord rebuke you. That's the Bible is teaching us something here. The Bible is teaching us that the way they fight in the spiritual realm is with the power of the word. 
Everybody say the word. Everybody say the word. If you want to know how angels and demons fight, they don't fight with swords. They don't fight with shields. They don't fight with air. They fight with words. And the truth of the matter is you and I are spiritual beings. There's this, uh, this bishop um, that Abigail and I were able to meet not too long ago. And he began teaching us this concept. He said, how do you think the spirit realm fights? You think they fight with swords, with their fists? You think they fight with fire? So they fight with their words. And you'll see, and we're going to go through the word of God. I'm going to show you how much of the Bible is teaching that words are weapons. That our words are weapons. Weapon. Second Peter chapter two, verse 10. Once again, it seems that they're either quoting from the same thing or the Holy Ghost is leading uh, Peter and Jude to say the same thing. Second Peter chapter two, verse 10. It says this, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority, bold and willful. They do not tremble as they blaspheme. That word blaspheme means to speak evil of. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. There is an understanding and a respect to holding and to uh, governing which words flow from your mouth. There is an importance emphasized in the word of God of how important and vital it is to be able to just catch your tongue. And so many of us have set ourselves up. So many of us have pronounced cursings. So many of us have belittled, have destroyed, have fought against our brothers and sisters with just our word, with the ones that we love the most. We've torn them down. Why? Because we do not understand the power of our words as descriptive in the Bible. And God is calling us today to not speak cursing, but to speak life. God is calling us today to encourage one another and to bless one another and to lift up one another and to speak life into our children, into our family, etc. And so what we understand is there are levels of authority and power. The angels are very powerful and made a little higher than us, the Bible teaches. But they, when pronouncing judgment, they do not disrespect the position that another being is in. And fifth thing, the thing I want us to understand is that they fight with words. Everyone say, your words are weapons. Your words are weapons. In the spirit realm, they fight with words. Don't believe me, I'll show you. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. A very common passage of scripture that most every one of us understand and know. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. If you can follow me as, it says, as I read it. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. Ready? And the sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. Out of all the six parts of the armor of God, only one of them is used for attacking. And that one that is used for attacking is described as what? The word of God. 
In other words, in the spirit realm, in the, word, in the Bible, we understand the Hebrew mentality that words are weapons. Ready? Let's go one more. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The word of God is a sword. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Ready? It says this. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of morrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It doesn't say, for the word of God is like a sword. It doesn't say, for the word of God is similar to a sword, or resembles a sword, or is made in the image of a sword. The Bible says that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword it is relating it and then in, in ephesians it tells us that the word uh that the sword of the spirit is the word of god right we are understanding that the word of god is a weapon we and when you begin to understand that then you will hold back certain phrases that are that tend to come out of your mouth man i'm having the worst day man i I've heard this said before. When people say this, it blows me away. You want to say, man, I just want to kill myself. Like, or I, I could kill my, Like, when they say something, I'm like, what? How are you pronouncing such things over your life? And it's because there's a very carnal understanding of words that, that our society has. Our society does not understand the power of the spoken word. Let's keep moving forward. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 1. You don't have to open up there, but just follow along with me. If you guys get it up there, you can follow along with me up there. I just want you to hear this. Isaiah 491. Listen to me, O coastlands. This is Isaiah. And give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. Verse 2. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow in his quiver. He hid me away. Ready? Revelation chapter 1, verse 16. Once again, if you guys can follow me up there. I would appreciate it. Revelation chapter 1, verse 16. Hear me as I read it. It says, in his right hand, he held seven stars. Talking about Jesus. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Your words are weapons. Your words are weapons. Someone give God a round of applause for that revelation today. Amen. Why don't we open up to James chapter 3? And as you open up there, I just want, I want us to understand as a church, as a congregation, as the body, I want us to understand the importance of what you say, how much weight is on it, how much weight is being pressed on every single word that leaves your mouth. And some of you say, well, I was joking. I was just kidding, you know, I messed up here, I messed up there, and I let this out. The book of James is, is going to, uh, chapter 3, James chapter 3, verse 2, it's going to give us a little more insight to the mouth. Many of us have heard this, so I, I hope that with the previous revelation that we can go dive a little further. James chapter 3, verse 2, and it says this, For we all stumble in, in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says... He is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. I'm going to read that one more time. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, whether it's talking about perfect as in no one's perfect, so we're all going to say a bunch of crazy stuff, or whether it's talking about perfect as in whole, as in completed, or as filled out, 
We can argue that later. But the idea is simple. Is that if you see somebody who has no self-discipline, then they will have no self-control over their mouth. If you see somebody who always blurts things out, or somebody who is always just saying whatever's on their mind, and they have no control over what comes out of their mouth, the Bible says they have no discipline over their entire body. That they will make a commitment in January, and it'll be over by January 3rd. They will make a, a promise on Sunday, and by Tuesday, they're already broken the promise you know, they promised you a birthday party. They promised you this. They promised a gift. They promised that. And they don't keep it, right? Somebody who is just blurting things out and doesn't count the cost. These people have no authority over their own body as well. But on the flip side, if you can learn to control your mouth, the Bible teaches, then you can bridle your entire body then you will have self-discipline to wake up early in the morning. You will have that discipline to pray and to fast and to go after the things of God. Right, so bridle the whole body as well. Verse 3, now if we put the bits into the horse's mouth, into the horse's mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. Now here is the truth. The Bible is teaching that the tongue, though small, is the most powerful part of your body. The Bible is showing us that you can have the most massive ship. You can have a great grand ship, you know, that's barely tossed with the waves, that's barely moved with the winds. But the moment you get to the helm, the moment you you grab that wheel, you can steer the entire ship with just that one small thing. Now, most times we're looking at that in a negative aspect. We look at that scripture and we think, man, my whole life is a, a blaze. My whole life is messed up. Like all of these things are messed up because I can't control the tongue. But on the flip side, if you look at it in the positive meaning of the scripture, then that also means that with that small little tongue, the same way that you can destroy a ship is the same way that you can save it. The same way that you can set a forest on fire is the same way that you can set someone's soul on fire. The same way that you can lose an entire people is the same way that you can gain it. You just have to ask yourself, who has control over it? You have to ask yourself, how do I control it? This is what he says in verse 5. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Excuse me, verse 4, toward the end. It says, it's still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. And this is the problem. This is why some people will get this revelation, and this is why some people are going to walk out the same. This right here is why some people are going to change the way they speak and they're going to begin to speak life and begin to declare blessing and begin to no longer curse their family and curse their children and curse their friends and no longer bring them down or speak evil. And this is why others are going to keep that. Why? Because some people enjoy the misery. Because some people have crept in among us and they like it like that. 
They enjoy the division. They're quick to run to mischief and to cause division and to plant seeds. And so there will be some people that take this and say, I don't want to live like that anymore. I repent. I want to speak life. I'm asking you today, who do you want to be? What is the inclination of the pilot? What is the desire of the pilot today? We still have a choice. We still have a choice. Now, speaking about our words and what comes out, most times people don't have that control or they believe they don't have that control, etc. But I want you to understand today there are two mentalities and both things can be true, but the mentality is what changes. Either you're a victim or a victor. Now, you can be both things at the same time, but it's the mentality that determines what you truly are. For example, you can have broken a leg or you can have hurt some part of your body or um, Kobe Bryant is an example that comes to my mind and I don't know if I've ever brought him up as an example before but my brother and I have a really uh, I don't want to say obsession but an admiration of the black mamba and um, never thought I'd say that in a bible study but the truth is Kobe Bryant, toward the end of his career, he tore his uh, Achilles tendon, which most people do not come back from that at all. And we, I was watching an interview of him, and he said that as I, as I tore it, I thought, that's it, it's over, I'm done. He shot his free throw, he walked off, and he said, I'm never playing basketball again, that's it, it's over. And he said that after some time, he, he went to a practice and he thought to himself, he couldn't walk on it, nothing like that. He had a, you know, still recovering. And he thought to himself, do I want to come out of this or do I just want to, is this the end of my career? And he said, and then I made a decision. He said, I made a choice. So I got up, I went to the uh, physical therapist and I kept working at it and working at it and working at it. And he ended up coming back and he ended up playing a few more years until he retired. But he, as, a, as a, a victim, he tore that part in his body. But as a victor, he got up and made the decision that it wasn't going to end him, but that he was going to keep going. And some of us have been used, some of us have been abused, some molested, some destroyed, some distraught, some raped, some completely forgotten and let alone, some have failed miserably, some have been involved in parts of your life that you have had no control over, and you are by all the definition of the word a victim, but it takes a decision in your mind to say, my grandparents spoke poorly to my mom and my dad, and my parents spoke poorly to me, but I choose today to no longer be a victim, but to be a victor. I choose to rise up and speak blessing in my church, blessing in my life group, blessing in my Timothys, in my disciples, in my children. They're going to go further than me, smarter than me, better than me, greater than me, richer than me, better in every sense of the word. My church is going to grow. That person that spoke poorly about me, I bless you. That person that forgot about me, I bless you. That person that spoke poorly and caused division and gossiped about me, I bless you. I love you. Who will be the change in the chain of your life? Who will be the change today? Come on, is there a believer here today who says, God, I'm speaking different. God, I'm going to use my weapons for your kingdom and not against your kingdom. Wow, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Someone say hallelujah. hallelujah. There is power in everything you say. And sometimes people... 
They just allow any little thing to come out at any time. You know, I'm personally not a fan of when people mock speaking in tongues. I do not play with that. I don't touch that. None of that. The shut about a Honda, none of that. I know it's funny. I put a grin on my face sometimes, but I don't touch any of that. Why? Why? Because your words are powerful. And there's a scripture here in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. But it says, it says, but I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Every single word you speak, everything that comes out of your mouth, you're going to give account for that. And I do not want to stand before God and say, God, I was making, I'm sorry. I was making fun of the way your spirit speaks through me because I wanted a few people to laugh. I was making fun of the way your spirit speaks through people. I don't play with that stuff. In my house, sometimes my wife and I, if you guys have ever uh, known us, you know, sometimes we're very sarcastic or we'll say things, uh, maybe not sarcastic, but there's a lot of joking going around. If you think my wife jokes, you think I joke, together we're joke superstars. We just joking all the time. And and recently this scripture came to my heart and there's been conviction. And I said, she will say something and, and nothing crazy, but I just think, I, would go, I, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that if I were you. It's up to you. Well, you know, I, and then uh, I will say something. And I'm like, oh, I sh- nope, I'm not going to say that. I'm sorry. No, I, I can't say that. Like people saying, I hate my life, as we said earlier. People saying, you know, um, should have been me or all these other things. You know, all of these things they're pronouncing over their lives. They're declaring you're going to be judged for every little word that comes out of your mouth. The Bible's very, very clear about this today. Very clear. And I ask you today, is your words, are your words used as weapons for the kingdom or against the kingdom? When you speak, do you speak against God's children or for his children? When you declare things, do you lift up your kids or do you tear them down? Do you lift up your husband and your wife or do you tear them down? Right? What are you using your words for? Because your words are weapons, whether you like it or not. You have a sword coming out of your mouth, whether you like it or not. Whether you're swinging to the right or you're swinging to the left, it doesn't matter. You're going to hit something. And so you have to make up in your mind today, what am I going to hit? Am I going to use this for the advancement of the enemy, for the division of the church? Or am I going to use this to uplift unity today? Come on, someone say, God, use me. Amen. Let's give God a round of applause today. I want to show you something in, in 2 John chapter 1, verse 10. 2 John chapter 1, verse 10. I don't think many of us understand how important our words are. I don't think many of us live a life combing through the words that come out of our mouths. We have to be very, very careful. 1 John, I'm sorry, excuse me, 2 John, excuse me, 2 John chapter 1, verse 10. It says, if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine... Give him not into your house, neither bid him God speed. Now, that word God speed, many people, I've thought it meant to say God bless you. But it actually just means in the Greek, as far as I've understood, it just means a greeting, actually, to bid them cheer, to say, you know, um, I hope all is well kind of a thing. And then verse 11, it says, for he that biddeth him God speed is partaker of his evil deeds. He's saying what happens is sometimes we pronounce blessing or we pronounce cheer or just with our words on somebody. And when you do that, you partake of the evil things they're doing. That blows me away. 
That blows me away. That's why I'm very careful. Personally, this is just a personal conviction. I'm getting very personal today. I'm giving you a lot of personal things. But uh, just a personal conviction is that when someone says, God bless you to me, I don't immediately just turn around and say, God bless you. I, because in my mind, I want to understand and take it seriously and to really be present and say, you know, God bless you. And so when people say, God bless, God bless you to me, I tell them, thank you. I receive it. And then maybe if they're nice to me, I turn around. <laughs> I pronounce a blessing on them. But in other words, you have to understand that your words are powerful and that they have meaning in the spirit realm. Let's go to, uh, uh, let's go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 15. We're almost done. Galatians 5, 15. It says this, uh, Galatians 5.15, But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. He's saying that as you bite and devour, that's a euphemism or a, a metaphor for speaking badly about someone. It blows me away how comfortable some people are with speaking poorly about other people. It blows me away how much ease they have to just go ahead and speak poorly and, well, this is my opinion and this is what I think and, well, this is just the way I am. It blow, you are, you're cursing yourself. You are fighting against the kingdom of God. And guess who defends the kingdom of God? God does. And so if you fight against the kingdom, you're making yourself an enemy of God. And so I make sure very clearly that when people begin speaking poorly about others that I put a stop to it. My wife and I were at a beach uh, not too long ago with some friends and, and one of we have a group of friends and all these people are very spiritual and they pray and they fast more than more than me and they and my wife and they're just like they're people that we that we look up to. And uh, we were sitting around with them and having a good time and one of them began speaking poorly about another who was not there to defend himself. And I thought I have two options. I can walk away and let him continue or I can put a stop to it with the possibility of losing a friendship or offending someone. And me, because my mom raised me right, mama didn't raise no fool, I said, you know, man, I, I understand what you're saying, but God uses anybody. And they were saying this guy's weird and different. I said, hey, God uses anybody, anybody who wants to be used. And that's my brother, and I love that man. And all of a sudden, the whole thing just, all of a sudden, yeah, no, that, that dude's great, man. He's awesome. Yeah, he's a great guy. And I had to learn to be willing to offend people to promote unity in the body of Christ. So, there's a bunch of other portions of the Word of God. I just want to give you a few quick things and I'm out. Nothing was ever created. Pastor Jeff Arnold says, nothing was ever created without God first speaking. He said, God didn't create anything until he first spoke. Right? There's scriptures that say that God's word goes forth and does not return to him void. In other words, the word is very, very powerful. And some of you are wondering why your marriage is falling apart. Maybe you should just let a, a, a recorder just go on all day long. And at the end of the day, just go and listen to what goes on in your house. And you'll know why your, why, why your life is falling apart, 
Right? Why don't you see, you want, some of you are wondering, man, why, why is it so hard for me to run after God? Why don't you just put a recorder and just listen to what you listen to all day and what's spoken into over your life? Right? The book of Daniel says that the angels came and the angel comes to Daniel and says, Daniel, I have come what, for your words. I have come for your words. And the last thing we'll talk about is in Genesis. This happens a couple times, but one of the stories, Isaac is blessing his sons, uh, Jacob and Esau. Now, he believes that it's Esau, but it's actually Jacob. Jacob, we all know the story, right? Jacob puts on, you know, the skin, and then he goes into the tent, and, and, um, and the father Isaac says, uh, it, it feels like Esau, but it sounds like Jacob. And uh, the Lord showed me a few years ago that it's not that sometimes the enemy comes to you and you have to ask yourself, is it what it's was it? It's not what it feels like. Excuse me. You have to tell yourself it's not what it feels like. And you have to hear what it's actually saying. We don't have time for that. It's a whole nother Bible study. But praise God. All right. And so what happens is he goes in there and the Bible says that he blesses Jacob with his mouth. He blesses Jacob with his mouth. And Jacob comes out, and Esau comes in after, and Jacob's just doing his thing. He's like, I got it. I got the blessing. Let's go. Esau comes in there, and what happens? Esau says, all right, Pops, I'm here. Time. And his pop says what? Oh, man. I already gave it to Jacob. I thought, you, I thought it was you. Now, in my mind, as I'm reading, I don't know why Isaac does, doesn't go, hey, Jacob, just kidding. I'm actually giving it to your brother. I don't know why he just doesn't go back on it. But see, they had an understanding of the power of words and the confirmation in the spirit realm of what you say that he knew once it came out of his mouth, he couldn't change it. He couldn't take it back. And his brother turns to the dad. Esau turns and says, did you leave anything for me? He says, yes, I have one thing for you. And he gives him a little blessing. But that's the power that they understood about how powerful your words are. That you have the power to release, the power to bind, right? The power to deliver and set free, and the power to completely just put in chains. You have that power today with your words. Amen. Someone say, my words are powerful. Amen. Why don't we all stand right now? Amen. I pray we understand that the power of our words, I pray we understand, excuse me, the power that is in our mouth. And I pray that before we take dominion over the things of this world, before we take dominion over neighborhoods and, you know, cities, that we will first have dominion over our mouths. Because we can really set ourselves up for trouble. Or we can set ourselves up for success. It's all in the intention of the pilot of the boat today. Amen? Why don't we go ahead and pray and repent and ask God to help us if we struggle with these things. Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done. We ask you, God, that you would help us today. That you would allow your spirit to pour upon us, God. That you allow your spirit, excuse me, to correct us. To build us, to shape us, to mold us. That you would alter us today. That we would walk after you. That we would run after you, God. That we would be what you want us to be. I pray that our lips, our tongue, that the sword that comes out of it will not cut down our pastor. Will not cut down our life group leader will not cut down the Timothys, will not cut down our wives or our husbands, our children or our friends, will not cut down our bosses or our employees, 
will not cut down the atmosphere of peace and love, but that we would uplift the kingdom of God, that we would uplift your authority in our homes, that we would be the men and the women of God you called us to be, to take absolute dominion and absolute authority over our mouths. We love you and we thank you, Jesus. There is nobody like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Someone say in Jesus' name.